Now, all right, we'll start with the green sheets uh, the, way, the way we normally do, uh, and, and then go from there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So in our daily Bible reading this week, you'll see we're um, finishing up Galatians. Obviously, the big problem in Galatia is that um, there are Christians um, who had been, who were raised Jewish, who are insisting on certain um, uh, that, that all converts, even from all Gentile converts to Christianity, um, would observe certain aspects of the uh, ceremonial law, uh, which had been fulfilled in Christ, and so were therefore no longer in effect. So they were circumcising, or they were insisting on things like circumcision and, and uh, dietary restrictions, um, as if by doing these things, this was the mark of whether or not one was saved or not. And Paul is having none of it, right? Um, right? Most of his epistles, Paul starts with some sort of thanksgiving. Instead, he starts his epistle to the Galatians. He says, um, all right, so Paul to Galatia, grace and peace to you. I am astounded that you have so quickly abandoned the gospel that I preach to you. Um, you foolish, bewitched Galatians, all right? So uh, he's not happy, right? Um, and Paul's, uh, it, my, I shouldn't say my favorite part, but it is, it, it's kind of graphic. Paul is so upset that he's like, if you're insisting on, those insisting on circumcision, I wish they would just emasculate themselves. If you want to cut off part of it, then cut off all of it, right? Um, um, so very, very clear that this, that, that circumcision does not tend toward salvation, but rather... That salvation is only through the death and resurrection of Christ and not through works of the law. All right, so, so we're finishing up Galatians. We get into Ephesians. Um, there's obviously some tension between Jew and Gentile in Ephesus as you read through Ephesians. You'll see the body, the, the, really the, the meat of the epistle is Paul trying to um, uh, instruct, giving instruction to mend the relation between uh, Jew and Gentile. Um, but in general, things are not nearly as bad in Ephesus. I think they had been worse, they're getting better. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus. Um, so this is a much nicer epistle. There's problems to be dealt with for sure, but, but not nearly as bad as in Galatia. If there's no problems, you typically don't get a letter. So, um, um, although he is, the Thessalonians, I believe, he's very affectionate toward them. Um, and so we, we get the first few chapters of Ephesians this week also. Uh, so our memory work for this week, our Bible verses from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Probably all have it memorized already, hopefully, but a little refresher is never a bad thing. Uh, let's, let's say that all together, the, the verse there in the middle of the sheet. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. And then our catechism for this week from the table of duties, uh, specifically the instruction of scripture to children. And let's read that all together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Ephesians 6, 1-3. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, since you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, keep that prayer handy. We're going we're gonna to look at that uh, a little bit more and a little bit closer during our study today. Um, but before we jump into our study, uh, a few things by way of announcements. Um, First of all, I'll be out of the office all week, um, not on vacation per se, but uh, the youth are going to higher things at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale this week, so we're leaving um, first thing tomorrow and we'll be back in the evening on Friday. Um, we have 11 youth going from Bethany and we have um, four adult chaperones, so myself, Cantor Sweat, Tracy Downs and Rachel Francisco are our chaperones. Um, and we have a fifth adult going, Adam Francisco, but he's not really going as part of our group per se, uh, because he is the keynote speaker, one of the two keynote speakers at the conference. So, um, so uh, we, we appreciate your prayers as we, as we travel and also as the, uh, for, a, for a week of fruitful and productive learning for the youth at, at Higher Things. Theology on Tap is this week, Wednesday, in the youth room at 7 p.m., uh, Pastor Clemmer tells me that uh, you're finishing up this week the, uh, the Ten Commandments from the Large Catechism, so that should be a good, fruitful discussion. I'm assuming that means probably like the close of the commandments. Um, I know starting then next time will be a discussion of the book, The Universe Next Door. When I saw that, I immediately had some PTSD because that was a textbook for one of my seminary classes, and we had weekly, maybe twice a week, quizzes from this book, and so... And so that book was a source of, it wasn't, uh, the book was a source of anxiety and terror for me as I prepared for quizzes. Um, but, the, but all joking aside, it, it is a very good book. Uh, and the book is intended, so it's by, written by a guy named James Sire. Um, and his goal is just, uh, we live in America. In America, um, it's less unique than it was. Um, but it is a place without a state-sanctioned religion. Um, and so you can be a citizen here and believe whatever you want to believe. Uh, and because of that, it's not like living in Europe in like, you know, the, the, the early 1500s where by living there you were just automatically considered to be a Roman Catholic because that's the way it was. Um, and the enemies, the only Muslims that you really came into contact with was most likely if you were a soldier and doing battle against the Turks who were trying to invade Europe, right? I mean, th th the world they lived in was much different. So there was much, not complete, uh, homogeneity, but there was much more homogeneity there than there is here, 
right? So because there's religious freedom in America, obviously there are all sorts of things that people believe, right? There's various worldviews just among Christians, let alone all the various worldviews of those who are not Christians, right? Um, so, uh, and because, because of that, it's useful for your faith uh, to know what you believe, why you believe it, and the sorts of things that might be coming in from the outside. And it's also useful because if you, when you engage with people who hold these various worldviews, um, it's good to kind of already know what sort of things they, you know, they believe. If they say, I'm a Muslim, then it's helpful to kind of know what Muslims believe. Or if they say, I'm agnostic, or what have you, right? Or, or something even like Wicca, right? It's kind of good to know what, like, what the worldview of these people is. Then, you, uh, then, your, then your own faith is not only better defended, um, but it's also fruitful then if you, if you discuss these things with the people you, uh, you interact with, um, you know, to, to already know what sort of worldview they're coming from. So I, I highly encourage um, this finishing, finishing up the large catechism will be great. And I also highly encourage uh, going to Theology on Tap and learning from, uh, from, from uh, Dr. Sire in his book and as it's presented here. Uh, also then uh, in the um, narthex uh, on the uh, pamphlet rack, there are several new booklets in the Simple Explanation series. So the Simple Explanation series is a book of very small pamphlets it's been published by CPH, kind of similar to what about, kind of updated and refreshed, repackaged, looks a little bit, looks more appealing to the eye. Although I, I got used to what about, so I, I know what I'm looking for. But, but anyway, um, so it started out with us, they called it a simple explanation of Christianity, and it was literally just the small catechism, right? Uh, you know, just in a way that was maybe more appealing to someone who had, who had maybe some negative associations with the name like Luther. Uh, but if you call it, you know, they call it a small, uh, a short explanation of Christianity. They've had some other ones that have come out, right? Like um, a simple explanation of the divine service, uh, probably some other, maybe um, marriage, things like that. Um, so there's a few new ones that have come out. So there's, uh, you can find them on the, on the pamphlet rack. There's a simple explanation of the Bible, a simple explanation of baptism, heaven and hell, Lutheranism, and world religions. And so those are on the rotating rack um, in the narthex. And, uh, oh, before, okay, we have two more announcements. Coffee fellowship, all right? I like coffee when I teach, so um, hopefully then uh, someone will sign up. But, oh, someone came up and signed up for next week. Thank you. Um, until I moved my paper, as far as I knew, that was still vacant. However, so we're covered through the first week of August. Everything from August 13th and onward is, um, is vacant, so please... Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, get in touch. Uh, I'm sure David would be willing to help you learn the ropes. There's other folks who will be willing to help you learn the ropes. And there's a simple guide, about a three-page guide on how to do it. If you're on the fence and thinking about it, it's very helpful. But if anybody wants to try it, reach out to myself, my wife Gretchen, or any of those who, who do the coffee fellowship. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you can rename your binder there a simple explanation of coffee fellowship. <laughs> And finally, I think this is finally, um, uh, chairs and tables need to be put away, but, but pay attention. Chairs need to go on the rack and into the closet like normal. Um, we, we, we would ask that the tables please get moved to the NPR. 
They're school administrators, because that's what's coming this week. Um, we're hosting a, a meeting of uh, various Lutheran school administrators here this week, and they'll be using these tables in the NPR, so please, uh, chairs on the rack and in the closet, tables uh, out through the doors and over into the multi-purpose room. I think that's all of our announcements. Anything else anyone can, anything else anyone uh, that needs to be announced here at coffee hour? Alrighty. Well, let's jump in. So today, what I'm hoping to cover, so I'm tr I want to get us at least to the creed, maybe through the creed into the sermon. So last time we left off with the salutation, and then last time I spent most of the time addressing various questions, and the time got away, and we didn't really get anywhere in the liturgy. Um, so, uh, so we're going to start today with, uh, so we have the salutation, which is the Lord be with you and with thy spirit. And then following that, the pastor says, let us pray, at which point he prays the collect of the day. Um, so typically the collect is a prayer. Well, it's always a prayer. The collect is a prayer, and it typically um, functions for the purpose that it collects the themes of the day into a prayer, right? So the theme is really set forth by the Holy Gospel. The Gospel reading gives us the theme for the day, right? It's the life of Jesus in the flesh, right? his words, his actions, right? So it is kind of the pinnacle of, of what we're doing. And that's setting the tone for everything else. And then the collect then is uh, usually ripping, ripping off the gospel and, 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 and a prayer to God somehow associated with the gospel reading and therefore also associated uh, with the epistle and the Old Testament reading. Um, so the collect, um, if maybe you've heard all this before and if so, uh, Bear with me, uh, it's probably new for someone. So collects um, actually refers to a form of prayer, and a collect has typically five parts. So, that's really sweet. Collect. So the first part, um, and these five parts will probably like appear with various names. It's typically they all have the five parts. Some of them are missing a part, and we'll, 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 uh, we'll address that um, in time. So the first part is the address. So it's something like, O oh God, or Almighty God, or Heavenly Father, or Blessed Lord Jesus Christ, or sometimes even O oh Holy Spirit, right? But the address of the calling tells us who we're praying to. Most frequently, our prayers are addressed to the Father. Sometimes we address our prayers Jesus. Sometimes we even address our prayers to the Holy Spirit. The collect on Trinity is actually addressed, O Holy Trinity, right? We pray to all three persons uh, at once, right? Um, but typically they're addressed to the Father, um, and that's indicated by something like Lord God, Heavenly Father, all right? So there's the address. Part number two of the collect um, uh, is what's usually called the rationale, and so um, I'll just give you all the parts and then we'll, we'll go through. The third part is the petition, so what we're asking for. Fourth part, uh, I call it the intended result. And the fifth part is the termination. All right. So, the petition usually is kind of what sets the tone for the collect and 
lot of times you work back from the petition to do these, and you work forward from the petition uh, to get the intended results and figure out how you should work the termination. All right, so petition is what we're asking for, right? So, um, so let's take a, let's let's just take a look at the collect uh, for for today. It's the collect we create for church, collect for the week. So let's just listen to it again, and we'll and then we'll go through and identify some thoughts. So blessed Lord, since you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, so what are we asking for? What is the petition of that covenant? What are we wanting to happen? All right, learning. So, Oftentimes, the petition will start with a word like grant or give or something like that, right? That's the part where we are so bold as to tell God to do something, all right? So, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That's the petition. That's what we're asking. We want God to do that for us, all right? Now, so the rationale, so working backwards then, the rationale... Is usually a part of the petition where we remind God of something that he has done or said. And it's the basis upon which we're asking, we're, we're making the petition. Uh, right? Because uh, if we're going to pray such that uh, with confidence, uh, we want a reason for why we're asking God to do the thing we're asking him to do. Right? So the rationale then would be in this prayer to be one. Right. Right. You, yeah, since you have caused, you have caused, God, you have caused Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. We know you have done that. We're not really asking God anything there. We're telling him something he's done. Blessed Lord, you have caused us. You have done it, right? The holy, the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, they wrote Holy Scripture because you caused it to happen, right? Right? So, because you caused it to be written down, and not only written down, but Holy Scripture even says, these things were written for our learning. It's right there in the Bible, right? So we're taking something we know God has done. Since because you've done that, since you've caused it to be written for our learning, therefore, grant that we actually learn it. Read it, mark it, learn it, inwardly digest it, all right? Uh, the address on this college is very simple. Blessed Lord, and usually when you have something like that, it, it is referring to the Father. And uh, God the Father, that is, made clear when we get to the termination, all right? So the address, blessed Lord, all right? We're talking to our blessed Lord. Rationale, since you have caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, petition, grant that we may so hear the Holy Scriptures, that we might read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. And what's the intended result? There might be a more technical term for that. I couldn't remember it right away, so I always, I've always called it the intended result. What are we? Why do we want God to do the petition? Well, because so we get so so it has this effect. And what's the uh, intended result here? Right. That by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace ever hold fast the blessed hope. That's right. We don't have that. This one for some reason. So there's about four different versions of this particular collect floating around. 
Um, and so this one, for some reason, doesn't have the patience and comfort of the Holy Word, but whatever. Uh, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. All right? Uh, so, because God has given it for us to learn, we ask that we would learn it. And we want to learn. We want God, we want God to grant us so to learn, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest in order that through the Holy Scriptures, we would have everlasting life, right? We understand that everlasting life comes through embracing and holding fast the Scriptures. Uh, and so we pray, we pray that, we would, that God would do these things so that we would embrace and ever hold them fast and thereby receive everlasting life. And then the termination just means ending, right? So there's two terminations. There's two overarching types of terminations. There's short termination and full termination. So the short termination is simply through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's all it is, right? Uh, and, and the only time you'll see the short termination, so if you're, if you go to a service like Matins or Vespers, um, after the Lord's Prayer, there is a whole series of comments, usually in odd numbers. It's just how we do it, right? So if there's one collect, it ends with the full termination. If there's three collects or seven five collects, or sometimes even seven collects, um, the first collect and the last collect will end with the full termination. The full termination is the, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first and the last collect will end with that full termination, and everything in the middle will just end with the short termination through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, sometimes you'll notice an additional word in this termination. Sometimes it'll say through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, or through who lives and reigns with you and the same Holy Spirit. Um, so those, the word same appears anytime Jesus or the Holy Spirit are mentioned by name in the body of the collect, right? To indicate that, that this is the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit, right? We don't have multiple Jesuses or multiple Holy Spirits. So if the collect somewhere says Jesus, then it'll be through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you. And if Jesus and the Holy Spirit are both mentioned up, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, and the same Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, right? So if you see the word same in there, it's not just added willy-nilly. It's added when Jesus and the Holy Spirit are mentioned by name in the body of the company. Probably not, but there's probably some instance at some point. There's probably most of these things, right? I, I mentioned when, we were, when I was giving the rundown of the letters, that Paul writes that you typically don't give a letter unless you have problems. Uh, there's a lot, same thing with a lot of liturgical practice and things like that. It arises from problems, right? So at some point, someone was probably confessing there to be numerous things or something, and, and so they, and, and, and in order to combat that, they started being overly specific about it. Uh, the other time the termination changes, of course, is, is when the collect is addressed to Christ or the Holy Spirit, right? So if the collect is addressed to Jesus, you wouldn't say, through Jesus Christ, right? You don't pray through Jesus to Jesus. We pray through Jesus to the Father. But if we're praying to Jesus, we would sit the, the termination then is, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Or um, and the, the prayers of the Holy Spirit are even more interesting, the termination of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for you live and reign... For you live and reign, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord God, God, God. Prayers to the Holy Spirit. That might maybe, I don't even think that shows up on Pentecost, but they are, they are kind of out there. It's more in our hymnody than I think it is in these comments. Uh, 
And the, the collect on Trinity has a unique termination because it's a prayer addressed to the Trinity, right? So, for you live and reign, O Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord God, now and forever. So, um, so that's the basic structure of collects. And it's, I think it's super helpful to understand. First of all, um, I use this all the time. When someone like, I don't know I'm going to be praying, and someone says, oh, there's a pastor. How about you pray for X, Y, and Z? This is a great form to use, right? What are you praying for? What's the basis on which you're praying for it? What's the result? End it. Easy peasy. Uh, I don't always do that, but uh, it, is, it, it is a reliable form. I do also find it super helpful in the, in the divine service, right, to understand that the collects are constructed this way. Um, so you kind of know what to listen for, because um, in that way, you know, the collect ends up teaching you something, usually from the it, it actually ends up teaching you something straight from the scripture, the rationale. Is usually an episode in scripture, so it'll be like, um, Lord Jesus Christ, who raised the widow's son at name, grant us the hope of the resurrection of the body, that we may die without fear of everlasting death, right? Uh, so, you know, so, so it takes, so we, we learn something that happened in the Bible, and also, right, what we should, what we should believe according to it. Sometimes parts are left out. Um, there's always an address, there's always a petition, and always a termination. Sometimes rationale and intended results are left out. So I was going to originally do this lecture a couple weeks ago, and that one I think was missing the, uh, the rationale. It was like, oh God, give us this, right? Just like immediately. Sometimes it jumps straight to the petition. Sometimes from the petition, it jumps straight to the termination. There's no intended result. Frequently, almost, you know, well above well about 50% of the time, we have qualifying parts. Anything about comics? All right. Now to something more controversial, though probably not here. Um, so after the collect of the day, um, so we're standing at this point for all the whole service, right? Everything is on our feet, and we sit for the readings. Um, so after the collect, uh, the pastor, and, and, uh, and the rubrics indicate that the people uh, would sit. So we sit for the readings. And so, um, and so now we, well, we got to talk about readings, which means we have to talk at least a little bit about lectionaries. Um, and I don't think that's a hot button topic around here, but some places it is. Um, so um, so uh, you might know that at Bethany, um, Pastor, the pastors, we don't sit around every week and decide what we're going to read for the next week in church. Um, we don't sit around and plan out the readings for the coming month. It's all been, a, it's all already set, and that's um, that's what we call the lectionary. So a lectionary, right? Lection is something that is read, all right. And the lectionary is a set of readings that's already been appointed uh, for every Sunday of the church. Now. Sticky point is that there are two lectionaries. Right? We follow what's called the three-year lectionary. So we have a three-year cycle of readings. So what we re are reading this year, we did not read last year, we will not read next year. The next time you will hear the parable of the sower from Matthew 13 will be approximately three years from now. That's the next time you'll hear the parable of the sower from Matthew 13. The next time you'll hear Romans 8. Uh, the portion we read today will be in approximately three years from now. Same with Isaiah 55. Uh, 
right? Um, and so we have, so we follow what's called the three-year lecture. It's a three-year series of readings, and it's divided up into year A, year B, and year C. All right. Now there's, I think, and, and so and I'll, 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 I'll talk about some of the nuance of the, of the two different lectionaries in a moment. The other option is what's called the one-year lectionary. And uh, I have some friends who have certainly chastised me because I didn't preface the word one year with, or I didn't preface one year with the word historic. Uh, there is the historic one-year lectionary, all right? And that means it's the same cycle of readings every year. So uh, this week, if, you're, if we were following the one-year lectionary, today would be the sixth Sunday after Trinity. And it's from the, and that read, the gospel reading for today in the one-year lectionary is from Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the part where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. But I say to you, uh, whoever hates his brother in his heart, whoever such a moron or a fool will be liable to the judgment. Right? All that sort of stuff. Uh, that is Trinity 6. That's today. And then one year from now, on Trinity 6, if you're in the one-year lectionary, you'll have that again. Another year, you'll have it again. You have the same set of readings every year, right? Uh, so, both of these are okay. The Synod says it's cool, you can do whichever one you want, we don't care. Um, the Synod prefers, the Synod Convention has said, it's best if you use one of the lectionaries, but you can use either the three-year or the one-year. Um, so so the, the one-year is, is, in a certain sense, it is definitely historic, right? This is... Um, this is the set of readings, especially the gospel readings, that have been around for centuries. So, um, so the nice thing is uh, when I was preaching at churches that follow the one-year lectionary, and I wanted to do some research on how this text has been preached before, it was super easy because we have collections of Martin Luther sermons. Luther was 500 years ago. The three-year lectionary was produced uh, in the 60s as part of Vatican II. Um, the one-year lectionary, so Martin Luther, he has numerous sermons for every reading on the one-year lectionary. There's lots of readings in the three-year lectionary that Luther, if he preached, it wasn't recorded because it was a weekday sermon that his students didn't jot down and publish. All his Sunday sermons were published. Um, I can find Walther sermons, Johann Gerhard sermons, right, all the way up, right, all these guys that we laud as great theologians and preachers, the church fathers, all preaching according to the one-year lectionary. Uh, it has that advantage. Um, so, so there is that. Um, the three-year lectionary is a recent innovation. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? Um, so, and it was, um, this, this is sure to turn more Lutherans off to the three-year lectionary. The three-year lectionary was an invention of the Pope, all right? Uh, it, it came about as part of Vatican II in the 60s. Before that, Rome, the LCMS, everyone was on, a one, was on the one-year lectionary. Some slight differences, but by and large, the same lectionary. Uh, Vatican II, the Pope, they decided that they were going to uh, have a three-year cycle of readings. And, and their motivation is good, and the motivation is totally good, right? Or at least the motivation for which we use the three-year lectionary is good, right? The three-year lectionary exposes us to more, uh, to more of the Bible. That's a lot of times uh, one of the, um, one of the uh, big things in, in its favor. And the other benefit, I think, for the three-year lectionary is the way the three years are arranged. So right now we're in year A, and year A, you'll notice especially in the summer, that most of the gospel readings are from the book of Matthew. 
So we're kind of taking a nice, skipping a few things that came up in the festival half of the church here, but by and large, walking straight through the book of Matthew. Um, so you might have noticed last month, we had three weeks in a row. The gospel reading was from Matthew 10. We did the entire apostolic discourse. Um, we had the beginning of Matthew 10, the middle, and then the end of Matthew 10. Uh, Matthew 11 got kind of shortchanged for the most part. Um, and, they, and, they try to, and they try not to duplicate accounts. So um, messengers are sent to John the Baptist in Matthew 11, but also in the Gospel of Luke. So when we get to year C, we'll hear about the messengers who were sent to John the Baptist, but we didn't hear it from Matthew. But we did get last week, come to me all who labor, not heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, this week we jumped into Matthew 13. Um, we'll have several weeks in Matthew 13, because it's all these parables. This week we have the soap. Next week we have the parable of weeds. Then we have things like the, um, the pearl of great price, the treasure had hidden in the field. Um, so, we're, so, so you do kind of get to see some of the unique things. If you're paying attention anyway, you get to see some of the unique things presented by the gospel writer generally in the order in which he presents it. So year A is Matthew, next year will be year B, rolls in Advent, and it will be Mark. Year C is Luke. All right, so you, you do get that. Um, I'm all for more Bible. I do think, though, what the one-year apologists will tell you is that the advantage to the one year is you don't get as much Bible as you do in three years, but you get the same scriptures more often every year I mean, they're going to make an argument such along the lines of uh, repetition is the mother of all learning. Uh, uh, and so, right, so hearing, so hearing the same account every year, it's more likely to actually stick and remember it, uh, more likely for one to remember it, to hear the reading year after year. They'll also say they like uh, researching their sermons from Luther and Gerhard and uh, Kevin and Walther, uh, and that's great too. Uh, and, and, and the one year just does give a different shape to the church here, right? So, um, in the, so in Epiphanies, I think, where this is demonstrated the best. The three-year, um, a lot of churches go green for Epiphany, and in the three-year, can I get you just a second, Dave? All right. Um, and in the three-year, that makes total sense, because in three-year, Epiphany is kind of just like summer. It just takes the, the book for the lectionary year, and you start reading through it. Uh, the one year, Epiphany is, properly speaking, white, um, because Epiphany isn't just a chance to read through a book. Uh, epiphany, the word is from Greek, and actually means revealing. So in the three, or in the one year, Epiphany is going to be full of readings that demonstrate that Christ is truly God and man. So you're going to get a lot of miracles. Starts with the wedding at Cana, you get his baptism, um, all these, uh, you get others, other healings, all these things by which Christ is shown to be um, true God, even though he's a man. Uh, so there, are, there is just a different shape to the church here. A lot of the festival season, a lot of it overlaps. Uh, the other thing you might notice about the three of here, uh, what's missing? John. So John, so each lectionary here, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, those are what we call the synoptic gospels. Those gospels generally kind of look alike, but synoptic, they look they're similar. A lot of the same sorts of events, a lot of overlap. So you read from the synoptic, one of the synoptic Gospels every year. John is different. John records all sorts of stuff that's not the synoptics. And John, in the three-year lectionary, gets sprinkled in here and there, especially during the festival half of the church here. So during Christmas and Lent, and the Easter season, we get a lot more John. I could talk about lectionaries for a lot more time, but we don't have a lot more time. Maybe you have a question. Oh, okay. Very good. 
Yes, Dennis. So the historic one-year lectionary is jumping from gospel to gospel week after week um, because, because it's, the one-year lectionary is less interested in preserving the unity of one gospel and it's more interested in giving the, the church or even the summer section the shape of theme. So um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, so the one year during this part of the year, we're going to get a certain type of teaching of Jesus. And then it's going to shift to a different type and it's going to shift to end times teaching. Well, so, so the reason is even in the free election year, you get more Bible, but uh, it would take, you don't get all of it. You don't get all of the Gospels. So I was really kind of bummed that those verses were left out. Because those verses are super duper important for the parable of the sower, I think. Because uh, Jesus tells the parable, but, but it would take a while to read that gospel if we had 10 to 18 in there, right? You know, you're standing and it seems long, and whatever reason they cut it out, just for, for, for any number of reasons. Uh, I saw the text, I was bummed. I like the middle section. Because the disciples, they hear this parable, the disciples are like visibly confused, and they're like, um, Jesus, that wasn't like that's that's very unclear. Why are you telling talking to them in parables? And Jesus says this even more confusing thing, at least on the outside. Like, um, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. Therefore I speak to them in parables, for the one who has more will be given, and he'll have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has been taken away. Um, therefore I speak in parables that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled it. So so I quoted a bunch of that section on sermon. Um, but, but we didn't read it as part of the gospel. But yeah, so th they have to make some jumps in places. Uh, otherwise, we're going to otherwise get used to like eight minute gospel readings. Uh, I'd be okay with this person. But, uh, so, so if I was preaching the one year. Um, so, so because of, so, so the parable of the sower shows up on Sexagesima, um, which is a little series in the one year that we don't have in the three years. It's called Three Lent. So there's three Sundays before Lent, one that are the Jesima Sundays. Uh, so the parable of the sower shows up in the middle of, of the Jesima Sundays. Uh, and, and in the one year election, the parable of the sower is from Luke 8. So Matthew 13 never shows up in the one year election. But if I was preaching the one year election, I would totally pull out my gospel harmony. Uh, because, uh, or at least my synopsis where it compares them all, where it shows the different accounts of the three Gospels. Because um, that is super useful in one year lecture preaching, because your, your job is a little bit different, right? So, uh, although in the three year I could have done it too, because in the three year you never get the sower from the week of But in the one year, because you'll never get a passage from more than one Gospel, uh, instead you, you'll preach on Luke 8 every time. Uh, but, but some years, you'll look at Matthew 13, and in, your, in my sermon, I would bring up, Matthew has this little tidbit about the sower that Luke leaves out. And, and I would use that to preach the game. So it would be, uh, so I would still be preaching primarily from the game, but, but the parallel readings uh, would, be, would be very influential in how I go about that task when I'm preaching in the one When I'm preaching in the three-year, because the point of it, one of the points of the three-year, since I'm preaching on the three-year, I'm going to preach it according to the purpose, one of the purposes for which it was um, 
was given, or was, was uh, compiled. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to preach most texts simply on their own terms. Um, because I do believe that there is a unity to each individual gospel uh, that is worthy, uh, and that unity is worthy to be brought out of itself. Um, so if I'm preaching the Matthew year, I am going to try to find most of my supporting texts in the book of Matthew uh, more than I will from another book. Because there is going to be in the Gospel of Matthew itself. Uh, I almost preached a really convoluted sermon. I'm glad I didn't. It would have taken like half an hour to do it justice. Uh, but, because uh, it, it, it would have taken chapter 13 of Matthew as a whole, because uh, there's a specific bookend on the end of these parables that has to do with the family of Jesus. The argument would have been very abstract and not good for a 12-minute sermon. So, uh, but that is something I'm more likely to do on the three-year lectionary than the one-year lectionary, because the three-year aims at the unity of each individual gospel. Rich. Yeah. up in the one year or the three year like, at all. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if Obadiah makes a single appearance. Um, now, um, to your point, um, oh, oh, Rich just like, he was just saying, in any, in any given lectionary, um, you're going to have part, whole parts of the Bible that are probably omitted, perhaps even whole books. Um, he was saying maybe there should be a provision that once in a while we have a fourth reading where we read some of these that are completely omitted. Uh, and, 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 and that's something to consider. Um, and I, I, was just, I am going to point out that historically there was no Old Testament reading. Uh, historically there were two readings, Epistle, Gospel. The Old Testament readings have come in in the last 150 years, even in the one-year lectionary. Um, and, and, it is, and it is worth noting, in the one-year lectionary, the Epistle reading is key to the Gospel. So the Gospel reading drives, is the feature of the day, the epistle reading is something that is of the same theme or somehow supports the gospel reading. And when they brought in Old Testament readings, the Old Testament readings were doing the same thing. The three-year lectionary is a little bit different. The Old Testament is key to the gospel, but the epistles just go straight through some books, right? So Romans 8 uh, might have something to do with Matthew 13, but they didn't choose that part of Romans 8 because it has anything to do with Matthew 13. They chose that part of Romans 8 because it comes after Romans 7, and we read Romans 7 last week, and 6 the week before, etc., right? So we are doing what's called a Lectio Continua through the epistles in the three-year lectionary. I remember I had a pastor growing up, uh, good guy, but he, like, he, he didn't understand how the three-year lectionary is put together, and so he liked to bring in all three readings in every sermon. And sometimes he had to like go on these really convoluted paths to make the epistle um, have something to do thematically with the gospel in the Old Testament. Uh, and then at some point, he, he, someone uh, 
he went to some conference and asked him, someone's like, well, it's because the epistles weren't designed to go with the Gospels. He's like, well, that's why it's so hard to make them work with the Gospels. Uh, so, so there's that. Uh, yeah, Harvey. other books besides the pew edition of the hymnal if you're going to do a divine service. Lutheran hymnal was kind of nice. You needed a Bible, but beyond that, you could do the entire service with the pew edition. So it was one year lectionary. They had intro, gradual, and universe, everything for every Sunday uh, published in the hymnal. Um, but it was before the three-year lectionary. Um, so the Lutheran hymnal assumes one year lectionary. In the Proffers, it only gives you epistle and gospel. But there is a chart in TLH that has two sets of suggested Old Testament readings. Um, for, for the church here, but, but that's a separate chart on a separate page. Um, so, so some pastors, and, and some pastors still do this, um, they, some pastors, one year, dis, will, will, will commit themselves to preaching on the gospel text every Sunday, and the next year they'll commit themselves to preaching on the Old Testament, and the next year they'll commit themselves to preaching on the epistle for every Sunday. Um, we very clearly don't do that. We almost always preach on the gospel. Um, when I, when I do look at the readings, though, sometimes the epistle is just so incredibly applicable to something going on in the world. And in that case, I don't think, I think it'd be wrong to preach, to not preach on it when it, when it is so apropos to, uh, to, to what's going on. It's 1048. we got to quit. Um, we, we'll, we'll continue next week. Keith, you have, you have a quick question? Yeah. 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 yeah, that's one of my beefs with the three-year. I'm probably showing my cards too much. Um, so, so the one year, the way it works is um, it's based on when Easter is. And, and so Trinity obviously falls based on when Easter is. And that's in the three-year too. But then, so Trinity 1 is an important Sunday. And you never want to skip it. Um, and then at the end of the church year in the one year, then you skip to the last Sunday of the church year. So you always get the ten virgins and you can sing, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying. So three years a little bit different. So um, they, they did it date-based because they want to get you to the end of the church here. But because Easter shifts around, if you always started at the same, with the, at the same place, you might not get to the end of the church here. So, um, so the one year starts with Easter and works forward, and then you just make a massive skip at the end of the church here, so you always do the last Sunday. Um, the, the three year makes its skip at Trinity. Um, so you have Trinity Sunday, and then you skip to wherever you need to be, so you do the last Sunday of the church year on the last Sunday of the church year. So that means on the one year, um, today is Trinity 6. It's the sixth Sunday after Trinity. And it will, the sixth Sunday after Trinity will always be Matthew 5. On the three year, even in year A, next time we have year A, and we're in the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, it may not be Matthew 13. Matthew 13 will always show up between like July 3rd and 9th or something. Um, 
So next, next time we're on year A, the seventh Sunday after Pentecost might be uh, oh, two weeks earlier, um, at which point we'll have something in Matthew 10 on the seventh Sunday after Pentecost instead of Matthew 13 on the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. So, so the names in the three year, the names of the Sundays after Pentecost are not key to the readings. It's just so we don't have to, it's just so we can sound a little more pious than saying a date, right? So um, it's not really the Old Testament reading for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. It's really the Old Testament uh, reading for year A when it, on the week that falls between July 2nd and 6th, or 2nd and 9th. But that sounds a little uh, sounds a little too worldly, I think. So they so you still say Pentecost seven. All right, I gotta go. God bless your week. Oh, remember chairs to the closet, tables to the NPR. <laughs>